Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, the most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, We also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, It's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Cameron Pierce. Cameron is the executive principal and CEO of Flinders Christian Community College. Uh, it's a school on the Mornington Peninsula in Melbourne, Australia, one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, Melbourne, a beautiful part of Australia, if people don't know, then before we talk anything about leadership, you need to look up Melbourne because it's definitely one of the best places in the world. Enough about well, uh, Melbourne, let's, let's find out about Cameron. Welcome to the podcast, Cameron. Yeah, well, oh, thanks, John. It's good to be here. So tell us uh, a little bit about uh, what you do and, and uh, you know, about the school and about your role as executive principal CEO. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so my role is to, we're a multi-campus school um, on the peninsula. So we've got three sites, uh, one at Caram Downs and one at Tyad. Both of those are prep or kinder through to um, U12. And we've got another kinder offsite in Mount Martha, which is not far from our tired campus. So um, basically my role is, um, yeah, as the CEO, um, executive principal of the organisation, ensure that the, the strategic viability and educational quality of the, the college, along with the, the governance oversight is maintained on a day by day and year by year basis. You make it you make it sound so succinct and easy but as we were chatting about before the podcast and i tend to agree there no day's the same for a school leader it, um it's actually one of the things that i didn't realize because i don't have an education background but working with a lot of school leaders i have learned just by conversation how much you can't plan a day just because it's a unique setting like you obviously can but you need to i feel like i get told again and again you just have to get used to knowing there's going to be things that pop up consistently through the day, almost every day. Yeah, well, it's, it's one of those unique environments where, you know, in the normal commercial world, you might have sort of your one or two key stakeholders. You know, you've got your, your staff and then you've got your customers that are fairly focused and predictable in, in most circumstances. But in a schooling environment, you've got, um, you know, your staff, the students, the families, you've got government or government organisations. And so you're managing multiple stakeholders on a day-by-day basis, which in itself is fairly complex. And as a school leader too, you're also not only are you an educator and a leader of edu- a leader of learning, but you're required to be an administrator, a, a, a business um, expert, um, as well as a, a community engagement expert as well so there's a whole range of skills there and um and I always say to emerging leaders in schools that um, in the space of an hour as a school principal or a school leader you, your life can change very dramatically before you realize it <laughs> yeah that's uh, one of the things that strikes me most about school leaders is just 
the complexity of the stakeholders. Um, I always joke with uh, with school leaders about parents because, you know, uh, and many, many listeners will be parents, but talk about a, like, what is the most valuable thing in the world to someone? And yet at the same time, what can we be as parents uh, the most irrational about? <laughs> and you combine those two things and it makes just parents like a, a really challenging stakeholder group to, and that's why I just have so much respect for school leaders in, in, in navigating that, you know, really well and managing community. And um, I can only imagine how challenging that's been the past couple of years through COVID as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think I actually really feel, I mean, obviously a, a parent of two young children myself, but I actually feel that there's a huge amount of pressure on parents in, in our modern contemporary Western society, you know, this pressure to be mm. perfect and yeah. um, not to, you know, mismanage the your, your children so that they have social, emotional wellbeing effects later on in life and, um, and the societal pressures of, you know, the perfect Facebook family and, and those sorts of things. It's actually really, really hard parenting these days. And so I sometimes it's those pressures that actually play into um, the schooling circumstances, which is part of our yes. role to help manage. But particularly the last couple of years, though, um, sort of the best laid plans of mice and men it sort of sums it up. It's you know, I, I remember sort of the, the two weeks before we mm. went into the first lockdown in 2020. Yeah. And we had to basically reshape our entire school online in the space of two weeks. And we we're making decisions that were incredibly impacting on not only our existing, but our future viability as a school. Um, in in matter of like in a space of 24 hours where we probably would have normally taken two or three years to make some of those decisions. So it's um, certainly been a challenging but um, a significant learning experience. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine. And maybe we can hear a bit about that um, uh, in today's episode about what it's been like, uh, because I, I, I don't know for sure, but I think Melbourne uh, would be up there as one of the places in the past couple of years that would have been uh, spent some of them. Well, definitely for us in Australia, that's why I'm, I'm walking so carefully because I'm like, Oh, I don't know internationally, but definitely here in Australia, the location that's probably been in lockdown the most, um, which I think you just hit the nail on the head like that. That's the one thing, whenever that's happened, I remember all of us, all of my friends, we'd all be chatting and we'd all be, talking about the family and the friends we knew who had kids who were and as a result for me thinking about the school leaders and the teachers who are trying to do that online and do that balance but then you're open and you have the the kids attending who um you know who are who are kids of frontline workers and essential and oh man i just that's that's something that didn't we didn't have as much up here in brisbane where i am but um yeah yeah well i I think they confirmed that melbourne was the most locked down city in the world at one point. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I remember, I remember hearing that. That's why I was thinking. So yeah, it'd be great to get your insights on that. But first I want to ask you about your story. If you go back to even as far as childhood, you know, when you were little um, and if you look back to those years, I always love asking leaders, are there any moments 
when you were young that stand out where you think, yeah, that's right. You know, they were really pivotal either in shaping you as a leader and the person you are today, or even sometimes you see the seed of leadership. You see, you know, like, that's right. Yeah, I did that. I remember that person said that to me or spoke that over me. Or I remember doing that naturally and going, doesn't everyone think like that? Any, any moments for you that come to mind, Cameron? Yeah, look, I think um, I was always probably a very sporty child. So particularly football and cricket were my key things. And um, I was fortunate enough to go to a school called Peninsula Grammar, which is also on the Mornington Peninsula. So I've spent a big portion of my life down this way. Um, And throughout my journey there, probably particularly through sport, I always found myself in, in leadership positions, whether it's a captain of the team or a prefect or, or those sorts of things. But there was one particular um, staff member there. who was a guy by the name of Mike Chesterman, who was not only my Chinese and maths teacher, but also the first 11 cricket coach and just a fantastic young um, educational leader himself at the time. And I remember it was my second last year of being able to play in the first 11. And Normally, it's someone who's year 11 going to year 12 would be captain of the team, but he really pulled me aside and just said, you know what, um, I think you've actually got the qualities and the capacity to lead people of a, who are older than you, who may have uh, more runs on the board, but your ability to be able to bring people together and, um, and lead a team is obvious and I, I want to back you. And so... I ended up captaining the the senior eleven cricket team two years in a row, which was pretty uncommon. I don't think there were too many people had, had done that up to that point, and it was kind of a real um, shot in the arm of, wow, maybe I do have the capacity to lead, and that has always stuck with me. And interestingly, throughout my journey as a leader, I've always come into positions at, at quite a young age, including now, um, having stepped into principalship at quite a young age also. <laughs> so, yeah, I always, I so love hearing those stories, you know, how you, and, and you would, you know, you have no idea at the time. You're just like, wow. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is, um, this is significant. And then you, the, you look back and you make the link um, between leading a cricket, you know, the, the first 11 and, uh, and, uh, and going on to do what you've done in, in, and will continue to do in educational leadership. That's a wonderful story. Uh, from there, as you left school and, and uh, you know, you started to, to do different things, are there any moments in that next season for you as a young leader that really stand out, you know, any moments where you watched another leader do incredibly well, uh, maybe any favourite failures where you gave something a go and went, oh wow, okay, that's uh, that's 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 not how to do that. Like any any pivotal moments in that next sort of season? Yeah, there's probably a couple of stages um, in my mid twenties um, after I sort of qualified at, in my teaching degree. I, I went to the UK and um, I was teaching over there and was. Uh, playing a bit of cricket there too, sort of semi-professionally. And I worked in two schools over there. One was just your average comprehension, comprehensive school, which is um, kind of a government-type school over there in a small village near where I was playing cricket. And it was really tough and it was, it was like baptism by fire. And it really 
made me question whether I had the capacity to even be a teacher because it was so hard. And, um, you know, and, and it's no exaggeration, but I think probably 70% of the staff were struggling with either depression or um, quite serious um, wellbeing issues. And it was a real eye-opener for me um, of what it can look like when a school heads in the wrong direction. Yet, interestingly, um, I was then, after a, a contract session there, I was wanting to apply to get to, into a different school and experience a different circumstance. And I applied for like 40 positions and I only ended up getting one interview and it happened to be at one of the best Catholic schools up. Um, it's in a place called Bladen, just on the outskirts of Newcastle in northeast England. And um, it turned out to be the most amazing experience. And there was a principal there, Michael Zaraga, who actually went on to um, a similar position to what I'm doing now across multi-campus schools. He took on that school at the age of 30 in a fairly rough area and turned it into one of the top um, sort of Catholic independent schools in northeast of England, um, where a lot of the graduates went on to, to go and um, study at Oxford and Cambridge and those sorts wow. of places. And, and that was a real eye-opener to me. And I learned an incredible amount about what a good school actually looks like, what good educational leadership looks like when, when it's functioning in a positive culture and has the capacity to actually transform young people. Um, mm. And so I really found that inspiration. And it was when I came back from there, I was working at, at another school, another independent school, and, um, and the former principal of the school came back to give this address to um, the community. It's a guy by the name of Rick Tudor who went on to be the headmaster at Trinity Grammar in Melbourne. And I listened to him speak and without notes and he just had the audience captivated and it was just so inspiring that at that point I just said, do you know what, that's, that's what I want to, that's who I want to be and that's what I want to do. I, I want to lead a school and I want to be able to do what Michael Zaraga did in the UK, you know, really impact the school and help establish a positive culture and see young people transformed. And, and that was probably what kick-started my journey. So. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, what incredible mentors and, and leaders to, to see. Do you have, are there any stories that come to mind from your time there uh, where you were led by this person who you're watching going, wow, this is you know, just doing an incredible job leading this school um, where it, you know, comes to mind where you saw the way, you know, he navigated a particular situation or dealt with a crisis or personally did anything with you in terms of how he invested in you or other leaders that, that stuck with you? Yeah, well, I think um, what I really noticed about Michael Zaraga in the UK was he was very clear um, around the type of culture in school he wanted. And he, what he did was he built up over time these uh, amazing sort of leaders under him and, and not necessarily just clones of him, but people that complemented him and fulfilled a particular need and together they actually created this uh, amazing school atmosphere. And he was, in, he was unrelenting in his expectations on students and staff 
but he was also incredibly supportive to make sure that um, they were had his backing 100%, that they had the facilities and the resources they needed. And as a result, it was it was a, a, a destination school for, for teachers. So it was amazing and a blessing in many ways that I was able to have that opportunity. So just watching him work with those leaders, grow them, develop them, and intentionally identify future leaders mm. was a, a really interesting thing. The other one was with um, Rick Tudor. I actually, after that um, uh, speech he gave, I actually rang him and said, I want to come and ch chat to you and just find out about the, your journey. And he he was he very generously set aside a couple of hours for me to travel up to where he was at Trinity at the time and was so warm and welcoming. And we spoke for two hours. And the one sentence he said to me was, Cameron, the most important thing you can understand in a school is you can never underestimate that one conversation that you have with a student when you're on yard duty at the Oval or, you know, that, that encouragement letter that you send home when, it, when a student is struggling or, you know, that ability to get beside a family when they're down and out and lift them up. He said they're the moments, not just here or there, but collectively the one percenters that create a, a thriving school culture and that, that transforms young people. And so those sort of two elements have really stood out for me um, mm. in many ways. Yeah, that's such good advice. And I love how you talked about the intentionality around culture. And it's that tension, isn't it? That balance between uh, high standards in terms of like, come on, you know, this is where we're going. We're going to take it to another level, but also great support and um, a willingness for people to make mistakes. It's that tension holding both intention that is, I see a lot that you described that I see a lot of great leaders do. Yeah, it's that combination of empathy and clarity. Um, teachers yeah, right. need both. Uh, so communities true. need both. So uh, interested to know from there, fast forward to, you know, some of your more recent years where you've been able to step into now being executive principal CEO, but do you have any favourite stories from the past few years that really uh, sort of remind <laughs> you why you do what you do and, and um uh, even maybe from the past couple of years, I don't know any moments that really that really stand out for you as a leader from from your past couple of years. Yeah, look, I think it was probably important to note that um, out of the, that sort of meeting and time with Rick Tudor, I set myself a goal and said, okay, by the time I'm 35, I actually want to be a principal of a school and. I was actually very focused and intentional about that. It was almost became a bit like a calling or a vocation that I felt very strongly about and wanted to prepare myself for when the opportunity came. So um, uh, in over that next sort of five, six year period, I actually completed two master's degrees, one in education and one in um, a master's of, of business administration, so an MBA. And, um, and interestingly, two months after my 35th birthday, I was appointed principal of our current Karen Downs campus. Um, and then two years later, I was appointed the, into the executive principal role um, at the age of 37. So it was actually quite a fast progression to, to wow. the position that I'm in, but I was very intentional about that and 
and um, put a lot of time and effort in being focused on that particular goal. And so when opportunity presented, I was able to respond to it and others could see um, that in me. Um, the interesting thing probably about the last couple of years is we've spent, uh, throughout my time in, in the executive principal role, we've actually spent a significant amount of focus throughout prior to um, the, the, the COVID era, focusing on organisational climate and digging deep and getting our foundations right. So actually getting an intentional culture in place, knowing our identity and who we are as a community, and then really building, and a bit like the example of Michael Zaraga, building high quality um, aligned leadership um, and getting that into place. And that has been the most significant beneficial factor in us getting, not only getting through COVID, but coming up out the other side reasonably unscathed and if anything, mm. within an enhanced reputation within the community. Yeah, wow. What's been, uh, what's been key in doing that? And I, I don't know, you might want to mention something, a strategy that came out of the way you've been thinking or even the process that you that you did some of that foundational work, like what, what's been key as you reflect on the past couple of years and how you did that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the key decisions we made was we partnered with an organisation called Insight SRC, which is headed up by a guy called, um, named uh, Dr. Peter Hart. And um, the, the theory behind it in a basic sense is he has this concept of the billabong theory where he often travels up to um, the Northern Territory. He's a, an avid photographer as well as, on, as a hobby. And he loves traveling up there. But when he was up there one time, he was connecting with an, a, a local indigenous community and, um, and they're having this conversation around water quality and that. And, and what they said to them was, well, if the water quality downstream, downstream is, um, is being affected or making people sick, then you need to go upstream. And usually um, there's a dead animal somewhere up in one of the billabongs that's actually poisoning the river and then it's flowing downstream. And he's, he applies that similar to the concept of what he calls organisational climate, which is what a lot of schools and even broader organisations ignore. And that is um, a, a successful culture and community has starts with investing in and developing an organisational climate by looking at the concept of empathy, clarity, engagement, learning, and then staff wellbeing. And if you can get those pillars right and, and do them well, um, then that then flows in, particularly in schools, to the, the teaching climate, the ability to teach well, to um, have good uh, student wellbeing and engagement programs. And then that in turn, um, flows on and positively affects the students. So for us, it was really focusing on that process with him and really facing up to, to our demons and including the whole staff conversations around um, the, the flaws and the holes in who we are, who were, were as a community and where we need to improve and grow. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that that framework that's so... That's so powerful and what a wonderful uh, analogy of, 
you know, uh, stop, stop complaining and dealing with the, the issue with the water right here. Let's go up and actually to that billabong and find what's wrong upstream and, and fix that. And that's going to change everything. That's yeah. a, that's a wonderful thought. Yeah. And it's, and it's certainly that foundation set us up through um, the whole COVID period because people were, we'd, we'd addressed the difficult issues. We built strong foundations. And so when, as it, the saying goes, when the storm comes, if the house is built on rock, it, it'll sustain itself. And mm. um, one other element which was really important to us was the concept of identity. And a lot of people refer back to the Simon Sinek thing of start with the why. Um, but I actually think you need to start with the who. So who are you? Um, whether that's individually but also as a community, what's your identity? And we did a, a lot of work around um, developing our sense of identity, who we were as a school and a community. And then what does that mean for us with regards to what we focus on, where we put our resources, the type of culture and practices and behaviours we want within our college. And so that combined with the work we did with Insight SRC mm. set a really strong focus foundation for us. What were your key learnings as you worked on identity? Uh, because I love that idea of the who. And it reminds me of, you know, even what Jim Collins talks about with, which I, you know, just as a, as a little tangent, I always believed very strongly that vision where you're going was more important than who. That was just something I really believed. And then I read Jim Collins where he sort of puts it the other way around and says, well, you need to get the right people on the bus and then set the directions. But it's really, and that's more about, he's talking more about the who, the people you have on the bus. But I've really come to believe that who is more important than why. So I agree with you on that because if you can get and, and so much of that isn't necessarily about coming up with new thing, new things. It's, it's articulating and actually clarifying what already exists in terms of who we are as a school, as a company, as an organization, and as a person, like what, what are my values that, that are already there that are really in my DNA? Um, so what did you find were your key learnings as you went on that journey around identity as a school and, and for individuals in your school? Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things. I think one was it became pretty clear to us that um, we had a, a mishmash of understandings of who we were and it was more driven by individuals and personalities than it was by a genuine sense of this is, this is our identity, this is who we are as a community. And so we had to really fish through that a bit and... Um, and it took a number of months of working with the board, with key leaders, stakeholders, to, to really identify those um, core foundational features of, of our, our identity. Um, you know, we're, we're a low-fee, independent Christian school, but we're open enrolment um, and, um, and a number of features like that. But but we had to really look at those aspects and go, okay, well, what does that actually mean for us. So it was actually quite a lengthy journey to, to bring people on that so that we got to a point where we were pretty clear on the core features that made up our identity, which in turn actually set the foundation for us being able to then tell our story. Um, that's, that's a really important one that um, one, one of the most 
um, important aspects I've learned from a guy called George Savides, who used to be um, the CEO of Medibank Private. He said to me, one of my most important roles, jobs in that role was to be a storyteller. And if you don't have a strong sense of identity, you don't have the capacity to tell a story that people can then find their place and meaning and purpose within it. So by building that um, sense of identity, we're able to create a collective narrative for our community yeah. um, that then in turn helped other people to determine their place in it and whether they fitted, they would fit with that story or whether it would inspire them or whether people from outside of, of the community got a whiff of it and said, you know, I, I love that and I want to be a part of that story and were attracted to us because of it. Yeah, that's so good. And I think, I think leaders, uh, you know, there's a few things I, I love. Uh, Patrick Lentroni talks about being the chief reminding officer for yeah. your leaders and uh, which is great. And then there's the, I can't remember who says it might be him. Someone else says that, you know, being the chief cheerleader and, uh, and, you know, really setting a culture where you celebrate and you encourage and, um, and set vision. But I think chief storyteller is a, is another one. I, I'd say storytelling is probably, I'm trying to think of another one, but I can't think of anything that in my opinion is, is more underrated as a leadership skill, because if you could be a great storyteller and create a culture of great storytelling stories, have this way of when you're telling a story, exactly like you said, they're like magnets, people who share your values and vision. Um, they, they hear the story and it, it pulls them in and, 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 and literally to the point where I work with a lot of leaders in different sectors and different industries, not just schools where we tell stories, uh, you know, from C-suite level um, to use in marketing and, and business development because the yeah. people out there, say for hiring, the people out there, they'll hear these stories and they'll ignore so many other things. But when you share a bit of the heart of why you do what you do, particularly through a story, people catch that and people will literally move cities to work for an organization right. like that or yeah. move, you know, or drive half an hour to send their kids to a school where they go, that's the school that has yeah. the same thing that, that I'm aligned with. Wow. Yeah. And I think any organization, school or what, whatever, that doesn't have an intentional collective narrative for people to find their place and their meaning and purpose within will ultimately fragment because they'll be driven by personalities and conflicting concepts and, and a real lack of direction. And I think that's why that collective narrative or story is vital to an organisation flourishing. What advice would you give to people listening who know this is something they're listening going, yeah, that's so true. That's something I really need to do. What, what, what advice would you give or where they could start to really invest in that collective narrative? Well, I think it's, um, it's a bit like an individual, you know, trying to understand their own sense of identity. It applies the same to an organisation. You kind of, you start with, well, at the core of, of who I am or who we are, what's most important to us? You know, what, what are the things that are essential to us, you know, and the foundations that we need in place in, in order to ensure that we're clear about who we are, you know? Um, and, and even in, in an example in, in our context is there are some Christian schools that are, are parent controlled and focused on 
um, just serving Christian families, for example. But for us, we're an open enrolment school, and so anyone can come and work for us, uh, um, uh, you know, work and um, enrol their children at, at the school. So for us, there's a, a different importance of foundation. For us, it's about build, you know, the importance of building strong character in young people, making sure they have strong values, ensuring that when they're finishing school that they have um, a, a, a very clear vocation and calling that enables them to not only be successful themselves, but to be able to um, make a difference in the world. So we, we started talking through those sorts of concepts of what's important to us and then as you filter down through those things, you start to realise that there's commonalities there that, um, that make up the, that story of, yeah, this is what's important to us. This is who we are. And we, how do we now capture that, champion that and put some language around it? Yeah, that's so good. That's, that's really helpful. Uh, I, I do want to ask you about the, the lockdown and being um, one of, if not the city with, you know, the most uh, time spent in lockdown. How did you as a leader, I, I guess, in that incredibly unique situation where you're leading uh, uh, education with, through such a long period of lockdown, what were the key learnings for you as a leader from that season? Yeah, I think um, the two two pillars that we often use are the concept of um, empathy and clarity. Um, one was really um, making sure that we had a, a strong finger on the pulse where our staff and our students and our families were at. So um, making sure that we had mechanisms and ways of connecting into that so that we in our disconnected state, we didn't lose touch with, with that element. And so we were able to respond to the needs, which often fluctuate um, and impact in different ways week on week. Um, but the other thing was clarity, like making sure that we had a, an aligned thought through and well communicated um, collection of expectations and um, and guidelines and practices to make sure that people felt safe and that things were under control. That in a time where there was so much uncertainty, if nothing else, they had certainty from the leadership of the college to go, this, these are the, the guidelines, these are what you can comfortably work within and these are the avenues in which you can go in order to get support and encouragement and resources. And so that combination of empathy and clarity were really important. Mm. Um, one thing I did do regularly was um, just ensure that we had regular executive gatherings to um, make sure that we were all consistently on the same page and that our communication was clear and that we were supporting each other, that um, if one person was starting to struggle, the other would um, help lift them up. And so that sense of collective support, um, one in mind, one in, in our communication. Yeah, that's, uh, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Well, uh, we could talk so much more about your story, but I really do want to ask you some of these questions in Leadership Express. So I've got a few for you. Ready? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, so firstly, what's a book that you've gifted to other people? Um, 
probably the main one would be one called Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbinger Institute. Um, you, you're never the same after reading it. It just it changes you from being seeing people as objects to seeing people as people. And I think it's a significant shift for, for leaders to make. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. Um, any podcasts that you're really enjoying listening to or other sources right now as a school leader, you know, that you're watching, listening, reading? Yeah, oh, I'm actually quite a big reader. So, um, and I, I love philosophy and so forth. So I'm actually reading a lot about uh, Soren Kierkegaard at the moment. So <laughs> um, mainly because just uh, in, in our sort of context, looking at the importance of transformation and what does it actually really mean mm. to help transform? It's everyone, every man and their dog's got an understanding what transformation means for a student, but I'm just grappling at that. It's probably a deeper philosophical le level. So <laughs> That's great. I love that. I love recommendations like that. I haven't had that before, but that's brilliant. Okay. What is, do you have any, uh, do you have any favorite questions that you ask when you're one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you know, in a one-on-one, -on -one, when you're in a, in a group setting, when you, uh, you know, sitting with some leaders uh, in your school, do you have any sort of favorite questions? Um, when I'm one-on-one -on -one with leaders, a key question I always ask is what's, what's the, what are some of the key things that get you up in the morning? Um, how does it, what, what drives you and excites you to go, yeah, I can't wait to get out of bed and into it. And um, which is, I think, a really important thing to know when you're leading people. Um, yeah, I just, I've learned that most, every, everybody's different and mm. have different drivers and motivators. And I think if you ignore that, um, you actually miss out on a fair bit. So that's something, a, a sort of a question I tend to probe with people. <laughs> a great question. It's also a great interview question, but obviously people are going to be a little bit, um, you know, interviews are hard like that because people, are, we're always, anyone in an interview is trying to put everything through the lens of, you know, what's going to make the, but I think that's a great question to ask someone when they're coming into your organization too. Uh, but that's, that's brilliant. The more you can understand about that, the better you're going to be able to lead that person. Yeah, for sure. What's a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time or been reminded of? I think the importance of humility as a leader. Um, I don't think there's any room for pride if you want to be an effective leader and and like humility it like the root word of it um comes from humilitas which actually means down to earth or of the earth <laughs> so it actually means being real about yourself and not having any false perceptions about your capacity and a key mentor of mine once said cam you're not important the position's important and um <laughs> and i think that's uh, really good advice to, and I've learned over COVID that uh, there's no room for pride because if, if you do get caught up in that, you'll fall pretty quickly. So humility is a key. I love that. Something someone mentioned recently on the podcast is this idea that you're um, take your position seriously and don't take yourself seriously. Yeah. And that's right. particularly as a leader, like as a head of school or as a, as a, as a CEO and actually to go, yeah, this position, I need to take it seriously because wow, it's really important. But then also just to realize, you know, just to take, not take yourself so seriously. And like you said, to, to be humble and not, not be afraid to, 
look silly. And yeah, there's so much good in that I could go into, but I, I, I'll keep going. Uh, okay. This is a new question that I got from a recent podcast <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that I asked someone and I've, I'm now starting to ask it because it's so much fun. What is a commonly held belief in your industry that you passionately disagree with? Uh, I, th- I can answer this one really quickly. Yeah. Um, I think um, there's a massive question around the purpose of education in general. And I think um, both in the secular and independent and faith-based type settings, mm. um, there's an overarching narrative, um, particularly at the tertiary level, that has set a particular agenda for the, the purpose of education. And I think it needs to be completely rethought um, because I don't think it's actually helping um, the formation and development of our young people um, in, a, in a way that's going to help them flourish um, in the years to come. So I think the whole purpose of education needs to be rethought. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. It was funny. In a recent podcast, I had a, a director of thought leadership for this group that works in a lot of forecasting and um, AI. (laughs) And his answer to this question was that he doesn't believe AI exists. And it was just so good because he's like, even in my book that, you know, I had to use the term, but I don't think it exists. And he like works in that field. I just find that question already is so much fun because you get these really interesting and, and, um, you know, you just get, it just cuts to a really interesting uh, perspective on something very significant. So thank you for sharing that. I, I, I tend to agree. I think it's, um, uh, I think education is so important and so significant. And I think we get it so wrong. There's so much more that we can do. It's such a limited view we have of it. So we could talk more about that, but uh, let me keep going. Okay. What's a great piece of advice you've received? Um, oh, probably to, uh, One is never sacrifice your family for the job. Um, And the other one was there's no such thing as a throwaway line. (laughs) um, (laughs) And I think both are very true. (laughs) I've learned the second one the hard way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. You can't get it back, can you? It's uh, there's no such thing as a throwaway line. I like that. That's uh, that's good. Uh, What's a big struggle or problem school leaders are facing? Oh, look, I think, I don't think we can underestimate the impact of COVID, but in particular on school leadership across the sector, across sectors within education. Um, one really sad trend I'm seeing is um, amazing, experienced, long term uh, principals and educational leaders who otherwise probably would have gone on another four or five years are actually pulling the pin. and. Yeah. either retiring early or moving into different industries and so forth. And I'm actually quite worried about the immediate and longer term impact of that trend because I think it's already hard to find really high quality educational leaders, um, but to see a lot of them walking away from it um, just because of the, the stress and the impact of the last couple of years, um, I think is, is going to be a real issue moving forward. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to bring up some really big challenges for school leaders, for government, for because we, um, it's it's only made an industry where I think it's interesting. You mentioned at the start about that experience you had in the UK, where you looked around and well-being was uh, incredibly detrimental. And I, I work with some schools in the UK, and and I was shocked when I found that I because I have so many friends who are teachers and in education, I work with educators here, and I thought, wow, it's Australia, it's full on. 
And uh, it's not to say it's not, it is. But then when I've worked with the UK, I've gone, somehow it's at another level of um, stress and as a general sort of culture. Yeah. And that's really concerned me because I think it's such an important role. And if anyone shouldn't be turning up feeling the way, uh, you know, um, just if there's anyone that you don't want to be turning up feeling incredibly overwhelmed, like they can't be successful and like they're just just staying you know just staying afloat it's our teachers working with our kids that's just it's such it's so it's so um so broken yeah yeah and and i think also the the reality of burnout which i think is a good thing is becoming more accepted um in broader society that that it is a a very real experience for people yes Um, I, i think it needs to be taken seriously and um, school boards and government government bodies need to be very proactive in that space in the next probably three or four years because um, I think it, it could really um, become worse if something isn't if intervention isn't done. Absolutely. Uh, a quick fun one before I ask you the last question. So second last question: uh, a movie or TV show that really impacted you, or a book because you said you're a reader. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look. Uh, a couple of interesting movies when I was coming through when I was younger that really inspired me a bit left field, but one was Cry Freedom, um, the story of Stephen Biko um, in South Africa. Oh, wow. Um, I've heard of it. It's, yeah, it really um, it significantly impacted me. The other one um, was actually Gandhi. It was both of those inspired mm. me because they were men who knew them, their, their personal identity. They knew who they were. And they were highly intelligent, capable people, unwilling to sacrifice the core fundamentals of of what they saw as being the truth. And I think think that's really important as a leader. It's that sort of, that sense of knowing who you are and being flexible, but that knowing the things that you, you won't compromise on. Yeah, they're they're great recommendations. Thank you. Cry Freedom. I'll have to uh, check that out. And uh, last question, if you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? Uh, I'd say focus your direction. So a bit like my journey, know what it is that you want and pursue it relentlessly. But following on what we said earlier, I'd combine that with learn to be a good storyteller because it's Mm. essential. So good. I, I always get excited thinking about the listener who is umming and ahhing about something, maybe a young sort of leader. And this is maybe the, the point they needed to hear that story about you and, and your journey. And, and maybe they'll go and enroll in a master's or, or just to, you know, just really set the direction to go, actually, that's something I really want to do. And I'm going to chase after it. So I think that's a wonderfully, wonderfully rich uh, story. Um, well, uh, for those who might want to, uh, contact you or find you on LinkedIn, et cetera, or also for your school and, and find out a bit more about um, about Flinders, what are the best ways for people to to find you online? Yeah, so obviously, yeah, through through LinkedIn, they can message me through that. And um, and we've got our, our website um, for, for Flinders Christian Community College, which they can jump on there. And um, yeah, all the contact details and information's there also. So. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. This has been so 
such a great uh, episode. I know we have a lot of educational leaders listening that will have, this will have been right in your wheelhouse, but I love talking to school leaders. I think um, it's a, it's a really challenging area to lead in and the principles that came out of today, such a storytelling is so uh, universal. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I loved it. Uh, for our listeners, don't forget, I also have the John O. White Leadership Podcast, where I give you tips on how to build a high performance team and and how to cast vision. And uh, now I'm thinking I need to do one about storytelling. So that will probably end up on there soon. And leadership question of the day, where I ask you a different question every day to put a stone in your shoe and challenge you as a leader. Um, but I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to Cameron Pierce for coming on, for being so generous with your time, which is incredibly precious as a school leader. As we discussed before, there's always 20 things um, happening every day and pulling you in different directions. So I, I don't um, take it lightly that you've uh, given your time and um, it's just been a joy to get to know you and, and chat with you and, and to hear your wisdom. So thank you for coming on, Cameron. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jono, and um, all the best um, in, in the future with, with this great initiative. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders and, you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders, and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I, I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review 
and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, Jono White or Clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.